0: Have you experienced... with another episode of the anarchist experience episode 420 oh man wasn't that the right week for that uh year eight week 48 uh coming at you this week as always i am your host mr richie rich along with
1: mc and ks
0: and since this is your regularly scheduled saturday broadcast uh we start this thing up about 3 p.m eastern time on the old clubhouse uh find the club the anarchist experience there's also the anarchist experience house um and setting up a room is weird now like i think last time my tri- when i set it up it went to the house but it was supposed to be the club and i don't know i don't know what made that difference but either way that's where we do it if you want to get that little invite notification when we do go live you can at me at riches for rich r-i-c-h-e-s number four r-i-c-h and when i start the show i'll click the little blue invite button to invite everybody in um, and then you can feel free to participate if you wish that being said uh, what is going on with you guys this week Heard you had a late night cast.
2: Yeah, well, I saw a film last night. <coughs> it's a nice um, series on Netflix called Transatlantic, which talks about uh, refugees <clears throat> uh, at the outset of World War Part Two, and um, how, well, I mean, it, it talks about how people, how unfriendly people were towards refugees back then, as they are now, although today... They're fond of the refugee experience back then. They say, oh, we have great sympathy with the Jews trying to escape the Holocaust. Um, but the Jews were not at all welcome, and not, and not only not the Jews, but anyone else from Europe escaping uh, Hitler and and um, Mussolini and um, Stalin, all the tyrants of, um, of Europe. And I think of it as a... Um, a kind of a message for us today. We we often look back on things that, ah, human beings got over slavery, okay? They got out of that, and now the mindset has turned overwhelmingly against slavery, and it was okay for slaves to run away from plantations where they were slaves. <clears throat> and we accept today that it was okay for Jews to try and es- uh, flee and escape tyranny, state tyranny, state slavery. And yet, it the... Uh, the 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 situation continues, but under a different scenario, and people are still the same, rejecting uh, immigrants. And I think that it's um, really a a cause for the uh, the case of abolition. You know, it's still the abolitionists always have to come in to to try and change the minds of people and get them rethinking um, human rights and that uh, borders, whether it be plantation slave borders or the uh, state borders of World War Part II, or uh, today, are horrendous. Um, they're horrendous in their oppression of human rights and and uh, the tremendous uh, harm that it does to people on all sides of the planet.
0: Do you differentiate between <coughs> refugees and immigration?
2: No. Oh okay. No. And, and that's the thing, too, you know, when I think about it, uh, a runaway slave in Antebellum South would have been, you know, uh, you know, it could have been classified as, a, as an economic refugee. Ah, he was just trying to look for a better employment. Well, no, anybody's situation is determined by their political circumstance and <clears throat> whether they are, um, I, I think a lot of times they... they they categorize a, a political refugee as is um, uh, someone who has been able to assert some kind of statement about the condition. But no, they don't have to. They have a right to just seek out a better condition in life for themselves and their families.
0: Well, having it be a right, I I don't think means you can't make a distinction on the reason they're leaving. Right? Why? I,
2: why? It doesn't make any. No, it doesn't matter.
0: Well, it may not matter to you. But I, st- I, st- I still think it may not it, – it doesn't have to matter to you, and you can recognize that there's a difference between uh, a Mexican crossing the border into the United States because, hey, man, jobs there are a little better than they are over here, uh, and Jews escaping Nazi Germany because, oh, man, if I stay, they're going to kill me.
2: Um, you know, I, I, I to me – well – uh, there's a lot more reasons for escaping across the border from Mexico than just, oh, there's a better job over there. A lot of times it's the, the drug cartels that are uh, deadly to people. Uh, the the state itself is a tyrant uh, that taxes people and, and restricts people and prevents people from doing what they like. Um, yeah, there's all theory forms theory, of tyranny and the tyranny leads to loss of economic opportunities. Um, but the yeah i mean it doesn't matter to me and i believe that the the guard at the border has no no it's none of his business what the motive is for somebody to want to leave behind something that is undesirable to go to some place that is desirable
0: right that's what i'm saying i i i agree with you that it shouldn't matter uh, but mm. i also recognize there's a big difference right and in the minds of people where it does matter that's why that's how they reconcile it, right well yeah that
2: I see right. that people do make those distinctions, and uh yeah that's another thing that probably has to be reformed in 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 the thinking I remember uh, uh, when my wife came to uh, the United States I remember the uh, the officials asking all kinds of questions that were um none of their business and yet they made it their business because they had power, right? You know, they had the power to make the uh, uh, to and, and we were powerless against them. So of course they could make whatever distinctions they want. But it, um, uh, if if they didn't have that power, I would just not answer them. It's none of their business.
0: Right. And if you say that we need to reform the thinking of those people, right? Then I I think the onus would be on us. Uh, to make a better case, right? Because there's an obvious distinction, right? It's a large gap between motives, right? Um, With the case of the Nazis, you know, the Jews and the Nazis versus anybody else who's, you know, immigrating for economic benefit. And so when the people that really dislike the latter, right, are okay with the former, and you go like, well, it doesn't matter, right? Stop thinking that it matters, right? It's, It's a it almost feels like an insult to their intelligence, right? Because there's clearly a distinction and it may not matter and it should not matter. Um, but I, I don't think the best argument to convince them is, well, you're just wrong because you think it matters. And so if we, we, if we're going to convince them that it doesn't matter, right, need to find a better way to communicate that. And I don't know what that is, right? Cause I'm with you. It doesn't matter. I don't care what they come here for. Right.
1: Well, I think what happens is the people that are against uh, immigration and uh, what's the other one? Uh, Refugees. Refugees. Um, They put people in groups, and, and once you do that, then it's easy to deny people because you say, well, I don't want all of them coming over. I just want the ones that I can save and feel good about. And so... That that causes the the problem, in my opinion.
0: Okay, and uh, it still begs the question: What's the solution? Right.
1: the The solution is to treat everybody as an individual, and once you do that, then borders don't matter because individuals are more important than borders. Sure. Uh, if, if if one individual is uh, about to lose his life, and so he has to come across the border, um, then. Another individual should also be able to come across the border, uh, whatever his situation is. Because well, there's other individuals already across the border. Well, that that's where you
0: lose them, though. I'm telling you, that's where you lose them. Right there, there are there are uh, closed border libertarians, right? Yeah, because the although
2: the, I I've it's I'd say that's a contradiction in terms because the. Uh, the libertarian notion is about the non-aggression principle, and they call themselves libertarians such as Hans Hermann Hoppe, um, when it, to me, his his way of applying his controls on people to have who he considers desirable in society um, is not a libertarian message at all. So I'd say that he's a hypocrite. He, the refugee from Germany who came to the United States, and and um uh, took jobs and schooling at government schools at taxpayers expense um, is the one who's most hypocritical about it now saying well refugees uh, um, uh, shouldn't be allowed if they're not um, welcomed by mm, by the political majority
0: right so so again in on principle right I agree with you but I can I can understand their point of view And I I understand their point of view, um, even though I disagree with it. So you say it's about the non-aggression principle. Well, the case that they make, right, is it's secondhand aggression, if you will, right? Because they cross the border and then they take government handouts when they get here. They get on the welfare system, not all of them, right? But the ones that these people dislike, right? Those are the ones. They cross the border, they get on the welfare system, and then the state goes, well, in order to pay for this welfare system, we're going to take more from you, the productive class, right? And so when you, when you let uh, those, uh, those migrants in, right, who get on the welfare system, and that directly affects your income or your take-home pay, your discretionary spending, whatever, whatever word you want to use on that, right, your labor, right, then it, <laughs> it feels the same. As yeah, a direct but, <clears throat> yeah good good
2: point and i like to take that on because i say who is the one who is actually initiating the violence against a taxpayer and it's the state it's the politician that they have elected mostly uh, have elected and established within this country it's not the immigrant that takes the money and that forces the the, the payment and then we uh, but I, I hear this all argument. Even Milton Friedman made, made this argument at one point. Oh, you can't have the uh, uh, open sympathetic to open immigration, but he couldn't uh, see how it could exist uh, with the existence of the welfare state. Right. But
0: that's the closed the, border uh, libertarian position as well.
2: Yeah, but we don't apply that to having children, for example. We don't say, "Well, you know, we've got a welfare state, so we can't allow you to have children uh, until the welfare state gone," because you know when you have a child the child's going to be dependent on on the state for 16 18 years they're uh, they're not going to uh, know the language and the customs they don't have any skills they're they're going to be dependent on on uh, education and welfare for 18 years of their lives uh well we can't allow you to have children until until the welfare state's gone which is to say never because you know wow. uh, uh I mean, uh,
0: there were eugenicists in the past, right, that wanted to sterilize minorities. Yeah, yeah, f- for similar reasons.
2: Right, right. they would be a, a burden on the state. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a good point. That they uh,
0: <coughs> right, have who, a who has more identity. kids, right, the poor or the affluent? We don't need to sterilize the affluent because they're financially capable of taking care of, you know, however <laughs> many children they have. It's it's the poor people on the lower end of that spectrum, right, that overproduce and then burden the welfare system.
2: Yeah, that's a nice parallel of the hypocrisy of that sort of thing.
0: But it's there, and it's been there, right? I know, so, but I,
2: I think if you're, well, yeah, okay, <laughs> but we... W- uh, so for the, well, I guess what I was to making a distinction was between you, you said there are libertarians who argue this case. Well, okay. I guess it depends on whether or not we're, we're arguing with the libertarian who takes on certain principles of uh, action or whether or not we're talking about, um, the general population that's not libertarian. They don't care about the non-aggression principle.
0: Right. So if, if they don't care about the non-aggression principle, then it's strictly a financial decision, Right. I don't care mm-hmm. about the non-aggression principle. I'm getting aggressed on by the state as a direct result of the state taking in too many immigrants who end up on welfare. Right? You, don't need the immigra- you don't need the non-aggression principle to make that case. Right? You let them all in. You know, they vote Democrat because they're promised more welfare. Some of them work. right? Some of them don't. You know, we'll ignore the ones that work because that's not the ones we're focused on here. Uh, but the ones that take on the welfare, you know, and I want, you know, to to go back to the the hans Hermann Hoppe comment, um, mm. It I don't know if I would call it hypocritical necessarily, right? I mean, I see how it could be hypocritical if he held those views early on in his life, right, when he immigrated, and then argued against it later, right? But if he, you know, if he moved, you know, like there's a lot of there's a lot of rich people now who were once poor, right? And they're like, well, you know, I, I have to go to the food bank. You know, my mom was on welfare. I lived in the ghetto, but look at me now. Right. And now I recognize that those policies were detrimental to the poor overall, maybe. Right. Or that it shouldn't have happened because it is theft from the wealthy, which I now am. Right. But even though I have benefited from those programs in the past, that doesn't make it right, right? And I have I have my mind changed on the position. And I don't know enough about Hoppe to say that that's what happened in his case, um, but I I would I would say that that is a definite possibility um, as opposed to just being hypocritical. Meaning, you know, he was anti you know he was pro immigration when he was an immigrant, um, even though he knew it was wrong, um, and then had his mind you know and then you know espoused his views once he took advantage of the system.
2: Okay, well, <clears throat> I guess the time, I, I consider something hypocritical if, you, if you're uh, willing to do one thing yourself that then later you condemn of others and the time frame doesn't really matter what his view was about it then. It's still hypocritical. He's, he's uh, uh, saying that others should not do what he himself did, and he's not, he's not apologizing that he came. I mean, he's not saying, oh, it was wrong for me to come. He's saying it was right for me to come. Okay. Take a job at University of uh, Nevada at Las Vegas, which is taxpayer-funded, and he uh, uh, studied at uh, some government university. I think it was uh, Maryland, University of Maryland. You know, you know And yet um, he finds no problem at saying that uh, that shouldn't be allowed now. I mean, he he should at least uh, find an exception for for uh, his own circumstance in in presenting his theory, but he doesn't.
0: What if he just said, like, yeah, it was wrong then, but I did not know better then. Would you accept that?
2: No, it's still hypocritical.
0: Okay, is there is there something wrong with being hypocritical?
2: Yeah, a double standard. I mean, it, it it flies in the face of of the logic of your position.
0: Well, and that's I, I guess that's what I'm arguing against, right? Like there, there are plenty of people who've like come to the conclusion that libertarianism is right. Right. And mm. some of them are former military and some of them are former military on this show. Yeah. But then, right.
2: I'm guessing that they'll say, ah, I came to the libertarian message and therefore my earlier, uh, uh, judgments were wrong because they, right. They violate that libertarian principle. But,
0: He doesn't doesn't say
2: that it was wrong for him to do, to come to the United States from Germany. Right. He doesn't say that was wrong.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. If he, if he, if he said that, right, if he said like, well, I, you know, it was, I shouldn't have taken that job, but I did. And now I know better. You said that was still hypocritical.
2: No, no. I mean, if, if, if he acknowledged that what he did was wrong, okay, then it would, then it would be consistent.
0: Okay. And that's okay, so again, I don't know enough about Hoppe, right, but I will take your word for it on, in this case that he has not made any claims that his past use of the state right was wrong, and now he knows better. yeah,
2: I don't know about that,
0: right. but if um, someone did I mean, do I, that, you mm-hmm. we are cool, right? Like you can say like, yeah. yep, I, I did not know any better, I did bad things, I now respect the ways of the non-aggression principle, you know, the anarchist philosophy, the you know libertarian principles, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I will behave as such going forward even though I have this history of aggression and violence in my past.
2: Well, no, I would still say, that, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be a libertarian principle that he would be following because he's not following. His current policy is that uh, immigrants don't have rights. If, uh, For example, if people... Um, uh, Want to come into a country? Um, he would say that um, that the government has a right to treat government property as if it was the property of those who don't want immigrants. Sure,
0: I'm not. I'm so not the speaking people of publicly though. Yeah, okay. In gen, in general, right for anybody mm. who has a history of violence and aggression in their past, and then come, you know, learns about libertarianism. You know, the anarchist principles, the non-aggression principle. and goes like, ah, okay, I understand now, and lives their life accordingly going forward, right? That's okay mm-hmm. as long as they acknowledge that what they have done in the past was wrong.
2: Yeah, I, I, okay. I can see that, yeah.
0: And like I said, you know, I'll take your word on Hoppe because if he didn't do that, fine, then he's still a hypocrite. Um, if he were to do that, you know, whatever. Uh, but again, I don't, I don't know enough. To, to say that he has or has not. But in general, right, like, again, plenty, there's plenty of libertarians out there who are ex-military, right, and they go like, man, I shouldn't have done that, right? There, There's a handful of them that got out as a, uh, what's the, what's the uh, uh, the, the conscientious objectors, mm. right? There's a handful that went, whoa, you know, after they got in, they went, man, I, that was a mistake. I'm not, I, I've learned my lesson, I've changed my mind on this, uh, i can't do this anymore and they get you know they get conscience of subjective status and get out right and as long as you know mm-hmm. as if if they acknowledge their past and do right in the future then fine right so so back to the immigrant right an immigrant who comes to the united states you know gets on the welfare program cuz hey it's available right and then talks to a libertarian and goes like no nah, man you should probably get off that welfare system because you're you're you know it's kind of stealing right it goes oh man you're right and then gets a real job at a private company or whatever starts his own business and whatever um right that's that's okay right those those are not the ones that we're going to go after for violating the non-aggression principle yeah okay all right so we're good um mm-hmm. so the the refugees right they they come the, the likelihood is they're going to get on some sort of state care right because
2: not necessarily okay um no i, mean, I think a lot of them are very they they feel they're not eligible and that's that's true in most cases they're, they're immigrants new immigrants aren't eligible for these things, and they're very hard working i mean when i I've met some people who uh, came from China by way of uh ecuador and um uh, working hard every inch of the way to in construction, not knowing the language in in Ecuador, who worked their way up through Central America, the facing the threats and uh, of death along the way. They're tough people and highly diligent and hardworking. And they um you know, and they um cross the border, I don't know exactly how they how they came in, but they um and and then here, they weren't looking for handouts. They were Taking up jobs on construction sites, and, and then started their own construction businesses, and eventually got citizenship. Um, brought their families uh, over, um, and they were able to get their families over because, well, the ones I knew as as Christians, um, they were uh, were persecuted in in China, and that was an exception after the Tiananmen Square. Uh, circumstance uh the policy towards chinese was a, a bit more flexible than it is now and uh also if they had more than one child that wasn't allowed in china so for for those uh, rather strange reasons some of them qualified for citizenship and started businesses and are now extremely productive they're producing one guy that i know has uh, uh he's building five houses he has a crew of 20 people who are working for him and all of this i've never known a hard working harder working person than him
0: i'm not i'm not questioning work ethic i guess in my mind the vision that i hold for a refugee right is an escapee who gets away with nothing what they can carry Mm -hmm. right and their family in tow Mm -hmm. and if you're working your way through ecuador you know from china right then we then we should probably look at how easy it was for them to get started in ecuador right cuz once they get to ecuador they have they have fled the persecution of their native land right and everything beyond that i would probably consider uh, immigration right so if they land if they land in ecuador however they got there you mm-hmm. know with with nary a dime in their pocket mm-hmm. right they they're either counting on you know I, I can't imagine a chinese dude walking onto a job site and getting handed a construction job, you know, fresh off the boat, right? Maybe it happens, mm. seems like a small percentage, uh, but it seems like at some point along that path, they're getting assistance from somewhere. And whether that's a charity, we'd be okay with it, or state-funded welfare to, like, you know, assist in the transition, right? That's- well, no, I mean, uh, consider...
2: For one thing a lot of people borrow from their neighbors and their family and their community to get enough money to to make the journey and so they owe when they get back and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't charity it was people who gave them money voluntarily out of their own pockets it wasn't state welfare and when they arrive if they're allowed to, they can connect up with uh, fans, uh, family and friends and connections that are part of the family network in those places and get all the help. That was the case of the of the Jews who were trying to flee from uh, Europe uh, during World War or prior to World War II. Um, they had family here that would have taken them in and helped them get settled and, and okay. get started. And that was that's true of Chinese. And all, all of these have a diaspora around the world that... that uh, they know and they want to help and are willing to help them out if allowed.
0: Sure. And again, in in my mind, that that moves the image in my mind away from a refugee, right? If if you have time to knock on your neighbor's door to borrow some funds or call up family, you know, to get some help, right? You're you're not fleeing a bombing.
2: Well, I don't know. I guess uh, yeah, there are a lot of different circumstances, but I I, I think you don't want to narrow the term refugee down to um uh, the explosion i mean i i'm guessing for example even in ukraine uh millions about seven to eight million people fled and they weren't being yet hit by bombs now bombs were falling over the country but you know um it's a huge country and it wasn't hitting in all the places where people were fleeing so they were fleeing before the bombs were coming
0: Right, and those people I would probably <clears throat> consider refugees, right? But anyone leaving Ukraine now sounds more like an immigrant or an emigrant, right?
2: There's probably even more bombs now than there
0: were well, a but, year ago. But they've had like they've had a year and a half to figure it out, right? Russia, Russia's, Russia's invasion has been going on for what, like sixteen,
1: eighteen months. Uh, yeah. uh, why, why are you uh, trying to figure out? What classification they are, if they're if they're a refugee or not, because to some people it matters. Oh, okay,
0: right. That was that's that was my earlier premise. That's the premise I started with, right? If we're going to convince people that it doesn't matter, we have to figure out an argument to convince them that it doesn't matter, and and my claim is there's a there's a distinction between a refugee fleeing for his life. Right? and an immigrant looking to better his economic or political situation. Right? Isn't Those that are,
2: fleeing for your life? Isn't that the same?
0: No, not even close. Of right? course I, it can, is. I can be poor in Mexico and not be worried about dying. Right? I don't think you can say the same for most of the Jews in Nazi Germany. Right? Well, I, I moved, I moved from are, Hawaii to New Hampshire no, when, right? when, for a when, better life. I'm not a refugee.
2: You talk to the people from... El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala that face the drug gangs every day that threaten their lives and you know, threaten to kill them, I would say that that's even more of a threat than the possibility of a bomb coming out of the sky on Kiev. You know, uh, the, 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 the drug gangs and the drug wars are, are very, very present and real threats to people's daily lives. Okay, or but, even the, or even police um, brutality and extra, extortion, and and um, you know, in some of these countries that facing uh, um horrendous circumstances. Some parts of Mexico, I mean, you've have you, I'm sure you've heard the seen heard the news about uh, you know the school bus full of university kids that was just gunned up and and uh, burned and all of the bodies just disappear. I, I think
1: I think I have a solution to the, to the problem and I've had this kind of idea before, and that is you should get what you vote for. And so if, if you vote to uh, give everybody, you know, free stuff anybody anybody that, that is accepted across the border uh, and everybody inside the border already uh, free, free education and free healthcare and free food and free housing, whatever it is that you want to give them, um, then you should have to pay for it, and if you uh, don't <laughs> vote for that, then you don 't have to pay for it and similarly if if you vote that uh you know people that are not being bombed uh can 't come across the border then um you shouldn 't be able to go across the border either, and so <laughs> you 'll just be stuck in in your country and you know you you, you might be happy with that you might not but you know, you you're never going to go to Europe because you're not allowed to because you're not being bombed. Um, I think that's uh, totally appropriate, and, uh, and there would be a lot less nonsense if people yeah. got what they voted for. Stefan <laughs> I yeah,
0: yeah, S- S- Molyneux, in his more saner days, right, proposed a similar plan of action uh, when it comes to war, right? Th- those who vote for war bear the cost, Right and you can take a vote every 6 months or a year or whatever and you know pretty soon people stop voting for war because they're the ones funding it and as people vote themselves out of funding it right the cost is then borne by lesser and lesser amounts of people until you got like two people left funding the entire war efforts going like it's not even worth it anymore man <laughs> and then they just stop as well right so bearing bearing the cost of your actions right, is, is great in theory, right? But we, we all know that that's not how the state operates. The, the state...
1: Yeah, well, and and people. People are hypocrites. Yeah. Understood. People are hypocrites. So, so yeah, if, if you say people shouldn't be able to cross the border, then you shouldn't be able to cross the border either. Th- that might fly with some people. Yeah, with, with some. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of people that... that uh, like Hans hermann Hoppy, he's like, oh, he he's perfectly happy to travel the world and go everywhere and, and because he's special.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: well, <laughs> he, he's he's the master race of <laughs> his own uh, his own self. Okay, I mean, are, do you
0: make a distinction between uh, tourism and 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 immigration then? Because is uh, he moving all over? Doesn't the world? matter.
1: It doesn't matter to me um, because there's, you know, you could you could make the the claim at the border. Oh, I'm just I'm just visiting, and then you could overstay your visit. And yeah, that's, you could. That's actually how that's how most uh, uh, illegal immigrants are actually in in the country. They don't come yeah. walking across the border. They come on a plane and and they just stay. Right. And that's but, perfectly fine in my opinion. But a a, a tourist
0: who crosses the border, right increases the economic value because they're bringing wealth with them to spend in, in your vicinity, right? In your state, in your country, right? An immigrant that yeah. crosses the well, border to get on the welfare system takes away. So again, we have another well, distinction.
1: Not necessarily. I think I think humans are valuable and they can bring themselves and then we'll have the wealth of that person.
2: To cross the border, uh, a, a refugee has has to have thousands of dollars to, you know, far more than I do when I when I fly to um uh, I flew to Uganda just last month. Uh, it cost me about $1,200. It costs at least 10 times as much for a refugee to cover the same territory illegally. Because are you, you, gotta sh- get around are all you the, sure about the that? Because
0: there's oh, yeah. like video of people showing up in Spain from Africa, right? Just jumping off the raft as it lands on shore. And I don't think they were each carrying thousands of dollars. In it's pockets. what it cost
2: them to get on that raft, Okay. So and the, if they didn't have to get on that raft, if you could just buy a t- an airplane ticket, they'd save thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, really, the average price of uh, for a Honduran just to come up uh, from Honduras is about $6,000. Or the Cubans three on the times trash boat landing income. in
0: Florida. Yeah,
2: they spend, and they they and they borrow, and they have to pay it back uh, for the thousands of dollars it takes them to get here. Yeah. If it was legal, they could, they could save all that money. And... And you know, um, you know uh, they would have um, they they uh, they're productive. My guess is if you asked if you allowed somebody to hire them as soon as they came across the border, they'd all be hired because but they're not allowed to hire because yeah. they, the all the labor laws that pre- prevent people from just hiring in fact, a hundred years ago when the people first came to Hawaii, they all came to Hawaii. Uh, from companies that went to China, Japan, and Portugal uh, and hired them on the spot in those countries, giving them a job here in Hawaii. So they came here to work on the plantations. And uh, that's how they how they came, because they were offered jobs before they even came. And that, that would exist now, too, if it was allowed. where people would have all kinds of... If you wanted to hire a lot of people for your company, you'd send a recruiter down to Latin America or Mexico or honduras and you'd say okay i'm going to sign up all the people that that can
0: come and well they they sort of do that now they just don't bring them here right they just um, they set up shop in honduras or latin america or taiwan or china factories or or something yeah yeah
2: yeah why bring them here when you can
0: pay them less there
2: well uh yeah companies do that but then there are huge costs for a company to do that i mean it's a much more unstable and insecure business environment so is it yeah the cost yeah yeah i mean you consider a contract a is subject to the whims of, of a judge i've i just uh, um
0: i hear i hear your point but i i want i want to think that companies as large as Amazon, Apple, Nike, right? They they've weighed those costs when we're when they're deciding where to set up shop, and when like, now we're still going to save money if we put it over there, right? They have yeah. to have done that economic calculation.
2: Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Right. I I I don't doubt that they, and that's why Nike goes um, all over the place, right? And they yeah. Well, but. <laughs> If, if the only the cost of labor was the only factor in the consideration, then there wouldn't be in a company, there wouldn't be a factory left in the United States at all.
0: Okay, well, d- depends, right? They're not qualified for everything, and not everyone has the capital, uh, as it were, to to move across the borders, right? If it, you know, like New Hampshire's the granite state, right? We they 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 mine rocks or whatever. You know, you can't take that across the border, right? There's there's no mining to be done there. It has to be done here, right? Loggers, right? You, you can't send the logging operation across the border because you cut the trees down here, right? But making shoes and technological products, you know, microchips and whatnot, right? You you just you take the stuff there because it's cheaper to import there, and then you pay the cheap labor there, and then it's cheaper. Right to send all the the inputs there, pay the cheap labor, and then ship the output back than it is to like ship the workers back, and have them work here. Else, they would do it that way, right? Well, like that's but, the economic but, calculation.
2: Well, yeah, and part of the economic calculation. I mean, like for example, you could say, well, they wouldn't need to produce sugar here uh, because it's cheaper cheaper to put abroad, but they can't import the product back into a consuming country the big consuming countries have huge trade trade barriers on on bringing the product back in
0: well they they sort of do right because wasn't it all the sugar plantations the sugarcane plantations that closed up in Hawaii and the the you know i don't know if Dole is still out there but there was a bunch right huge agricultural uh productions in Hawaii that went no we can do this cheaper over there
2: yeah but they didn't they didn't over there they went to California and Florida and got, and uh uh, Colorado, where, where they have the sugar beets, because the high quotas, I mean, the, the very restrictive quotas, the, the, the sugar didn't go to other countries, the sugar went to other states in because of the sugar quotas.
0: Okay, either way, then they sent it offshore, right, and you can still buy sugar in Hawaii, right? So they well,
2: all the sugar plantations have closed in Hawaii, all of them. Right. When I first came here, there were eighty sugar plantations.
0: That's my point. And they're all gone.
2: So, and it, I would say was, that's uh, also because of the Jones Act.
0: <laughs> okay, but e- either cheaper. way, the business did a calculation and said, you know what? It's cheaper to 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 refine the sugar across the pond, right, and then send it back for sale, than it is to produce it locally and just put it right out on the shelves. They, yeah. they did that economic calculation. And if it didn't, that wasn't going to happen, right? They would have still had sugar plantations in Hawaii. At least small ones for local consumption, right? Ah, let's just set up shop here. Then we don't have, you know, how much sugar does Hawaii use? Let's set up enough sugar plantations here to fill that need, right? If it was going to be cheaper than shipping it off and, and sending it back. Someone had to have done that. I can't. I can Again, I can't imagine at some executive level, you know, high up in a corporate business where they're where you know the finance guy does all these calculations, right? That they're do, they're doing something with to their financial detriment uh, than to their financial benefit, right? So if you know, if you could if you could grow the same fruit, right? That the migrants come over to pick over there, right? it would probably behoove those businesses to grow the fruit there and then import the, 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 the fruit over and just pay the migrants where they where they are. Right. And and we, we sort of know this, right? Because one of the things that they get in trouble for a lot, right, is paying less than minimum wage. Right? Ah, oh, we like the migrants because they can hold them hostage, pay them less. The migrants are willing to work for less because Hey they they owe their you know their coyote who loaned them the money to come over the border right so they didn't they didn't come over free and clear they owe somebody something so now we're playing a math game right they they're producing for America but sending the money you know exporting the exporting the money to pay back someone over across the border and they're not even being paid you know what what some would consider a fair wage here and if they're willing to work for it, then they'd probably be willing to work for that there as well and be close to the family if the jobs were there. Right? Yeah. You know?
2: I think I lost track of the point. <laughs>
0: Sorry. No, no worries. Well, uh, again, the, the point being that um, whereas they may come over with a hard work ethic, right? companies can exploit that worth that work ethic where they are right you you need not bring them here to gain the financial benefit of their labor right and if you leave them there uh you you benefit more greatly than you would if you brought them here and so the case for you know keeping out those immigrants still holds uh on an, you know they they're not coming here they're producing you know they're producing american goods there Right, And we're getting the financial benefit and none of the cost. Alright, headlines. Yeah. Community leader furious over businesses leaving Chicago. Refused to take responsibility. Is anti-sweatshop activism making Bangladeshis poorer? Uh, and finally, uh, the I only got three today. Has libertarianism passed its sell-by date? Any of those jump out at you?
2: The second one sounded relevant to our topic here.
0: Is sweatshop activism making Bangladeshis poorer? Uh, One of the worst industrial disasters in the modern era took place in Bangladesh when the Rana Plaza Garment Factory collapsed on April twenty fourth, 2013, killing more than 1,100 people and injuring uh, another 2,500 or so. Following the disaster, new safety and inspection agreements were put in place. But 10 years later, it seems that these safety standards slowed the growth of the garment industry, which is the primary path out of extreme poverty in Bangladesh. The media coverage of the disaster spurred worldwide anti-sweatshop activism. This led to unprecedented coordination among anti-sweatshop activists, union and multinational textile buyers to create, monitor and enforce improvements in working conditions in Bangladesh's garment factories. The Accord for Fire and Building Safety and the Alliance for Bangladesh Worker Safety are two separate, though similar, agreements under which major international buyers agreed to source garments only from factories that met the safety standards laid out in these agreements. The Accord was associated with international brands for more than 20 countries across four continents, while the alliance consisted of mostly North American firms such as Gap and Walmart. The agreement's safety standards essentially substituted for government regulations. Jointly, the standards covered approximately 40% of Bangladesh's garment factories and 75% of its garment workers. Unlike government regulations, which often go unenforced in poorer countries, these agreements have been enforced. Uh, Violation of accord standards have led to 156 factory closures, while alliance buyers have terminated purchases from 97 factories. While a disaster on the scale of Rana Plaza has not occurred since these agreements were put in place, the increased safety isn't free. Multinational companies have paid for monitoring, and Bangladeshi firms are responsible for financing any safety improvements deemed necessary. Unless these improvements have increased workers' productivity proportionate to their cost, the increased safety has raised the cost of employing Bangladeshi garment workers. While the cost of Bangladesh labors have increased relative to its productivity, standard economic theory predicts that it will shift business away from these workers and towards their substitutes. In this case, labor in other countries that is more productive relative, relative to its cost. Economist Kevin Greer, Tawhid Mahmood, and I recently investigated how the reaction to the Rana Plaza disaster has impacted garment industry employees and company growth uh, we found that empl- he keeps saying. We, so let me just find the author's name. Benjamin Powell uh, is the author. There, we found that employment was 28 percent lower, and there was one third fewer garment factories than there should have been, compared to the relevant counterfactual expected growth. This is important because the garment industry has been a major pathway out of poverty in Bangladesh. At the same time, ta- at the time of the disaster, Bangladesh was the world's second largest textile producer after China employing roughly 4 million mostly female workers. The wages they earn, while low by US standards, are relatively high in Bangladesh. In other recent research, which I will present at a conference on Monday, my co-authors and I found that wages in firms singled out in the press as harmful sweatshops averaged $6 per day in Bangladesh during the 2010s. That may not be sound, that may not sound like much to US readers, But during the same period, nearly 87% of the Bangladesh's population lived under the World Bank's $6.85 per day extreme poverty standard, and 52% lived under $3.65 per day. Economic development ultimately raised both worker pay and factory safety standards. There is some evidence that this process has been improving pay in Bangladesh, even among so-called sweatshops our research noted that reported sweatshops pay doubled in the most recent decade over the sweatshop wages reported from 1995 through 2010 development in the United States, which raised wages and improved working conditions played out during the industrial revolution. And it is proceeding today in Bangladesh. Unfortunately, while the reaction to the Rana Plaza disaster may have spurred the adoption of greater safety standards, it may have slowed the country's economic progress. Ended uh, end of the article. So yeah, so it can be it can be done by the government or it can be done by companies, right? What's more important: the ability to choose free labor, well, not free, but you know, like to freely choose employment, uh, or to have your job cut because of some arbitrary uh, safety standard by the companies who are buying your products.
2: I recall, a, um, remember they said in the story that about the majority of the workers are women especially in Bangladesh, that's a real important factor because um, women are highly dependent. It's a mostly Muslim country, highly dependent on men, often excluded from the workforce and debt, borrowing anything. And uh, these factories do largely uh, employ women. And when you close the factories, because of uh, working conditions, it doesn't mean that the women necessarily have a better place to go. It means that they they went there in the first place because it was better than, say, prostitution in the streets or um, destitute, destitution, poverty, and absolute complete dependency on, on men. So, yeah, I mean, I, I strongly agree with the point that Ben Powell is uh, making here, that they, uh, you know, they raising of standards does cost and therefore um, opportunities employment go to the companies that don't abide by these rules and regulations and if it's not within bangladesh they'll go to another country you know
0: right but is this also a case where free market contracts and agreement made people worse off than they were under government regulations
2: well, I think those companies that bound uh, that combined together to form these agreements were looking at their public relations impact um It was hugely damaging to their public relations when products that were made in that factory that collapsed and killed a lot of people <clears throat> hurt their sales, so they're looking at it as a way of of um ensuring their reputation as Nike did Nike uh, years ago was attacked for you know sweatshop you know, using sweatshop labor and so they re- tremendously worked on improving their their uh, reputation in that regard it was costly um, but it set a good standard and actually helped people fight back against the uh, uh, the anti Nike movement you know, uh, it's saying, oh, you're just exploiting workers. Well, they were. They were building their reputation to show that they can do a, a good, responsible job.
0: <clears throat> right. I'd so they, they saved their reputation in the eyes of you know the American and Western buying public.
2: Right? Which is important because otherwise they wouldn't sell their products.
0: Well, but but also at the at the detriment to the sweatshop workers. <clears throat> right? Yeah, yeah. So how do you weigh that out? What's more important? You're trying to lift people out of poverty or are you trying to? you know the the people fighting against it right well or, or likely wanted say, to better the the working conditions <clears throat> for these these people and in, fact, in effect made them worst off well um yeah but i i don't i don't
2: see a there's there's not a uh, there's not a downside here because the people who uh, if if those factories lost jobs uh, lost employment it's because some other factory that wasn't abiding by those rules uh, picked up the employment and either outside of that factory consortium or out of the country somewhere else. Um, so there, you know, that's... And and I'd say that that factory consortium started to set examples and standards like, like Nike did. Their, okay. their great expen- experience in Vietnam was... By paying the workers twice what they were getting at all the, all the other factories in Vietnam, they, uh, and, and they set out schools and, and working conditions and, and con- limits on working hours and all that sort of stuff, it started to uh, give people something else to look at. Ah, oh, we can work there. Or, I mean, I can apply for that job. Maybe I won't get in. But this company, in order to compete with them, is, is going to start to imitate those, uh, those practices.
0: I mean, doesn't that um, fly in the face of what the article is suggesting? The article is suggesting that the anti sweatshop activism is making Bangladeshis poor, right? It may be, in, it may be enriching uh, neighboring countries, right, who are on the come up in textiles, right? mm-hmm. but, but for the Bangladeshis, right they they are demonstrably worse off.
2: Well, that's. I would say the same thing about raising the minimum wage. You know it the people who get it are better off, but the people who then lose their jobs are worse off, but they, which is know, why we would know.
0: always argue against the minimum wage. Yeah. Yeah. And which is, which is why, you know, we, we frequently, uh, make fun of and ridicule people who are in favor of raising the minimum wage on this program. Right. Because mm-hmm. they they do so with good intention, right? We want to help these poor people over here and then they make them worse off by their actions. Right okay, but I but because
2: those companies did it voluntarily, I can't fault them for doing that. if they yeah uh, do that because they're trying to build a good reputation or maybe trying to have their own conscience about uh, what they're doing,
0: that's their business, you know it's absolutely their business, which is why which is also why I said uh, suggested that you know this could be one of those cases, right, and i you may have made this claim in the past as well, right, absent a state. Things could be worse than they are with the state, right? And the-
2: <laughs> well, it's an interesting point that he makes in the article that, um, yeah, the government may have all of its rules on safety and and so on, but they don't enforce them. They're they're for just for public show too, <laughs> right? So yeah, they, that may happen,
0: and that's I mean, what I'm does, saying.
2: So pervasively,
0: if if these if these anti sweatshop activists, right, just kept their mouths shut. Right, you'd still have Bangladeshi sweatshops, but the people there would be the ones working that the best opportunity they have, right? As you noted, better than prostitution or whatever else they would be doing, right? And the government would be overlooking everything else, so they'd be free to work, and the companies wouldn't have even considered, uh, you know, this this agreement, right? Because there's no public, there would have been no public pressure on them, uh, and no uh, no public relations image to defend. So it's not the co- it's the the companies reacting, you know, to the the public relations front that are making the Bangladeshis worse off, and we can't say it's a bad thing, right? Because it's voluntary; and the corporations can do what they want, right? But at the root of it, it's the activists who who are doing harm where they think they are doing good by pressuring companies uh, to take these agreements, where you know they're they're either going to. Um, move to a different, you know, move to a different country, right? Or, you know, in in this case, if they're agreeing not to do it, you know, it, it probably extends beyond just Bangladesh, right? Make multiple countries worse off uh, because they're not going to take any fact anything from any of the factories that don't uh, d- don't meet these standards, even though, you know, this was a decade old accident, you know, and there nary a story since then about something that bad, right? And those, and if there was, those activists would have been all over that one too. And I'm sure that would be, you know, something that they talked about as well. So again, right, you, you, you have this case, uh, activism gone wrong, right? And Mm. people being worse off, uh, than they were with government regulations based on voluntary actions of the, of the, uh, corporations, Right. This is the response that I get from, from people with the what about the roads, right? Mm. And, I, I, and this may be where you had brought it up, uh, KS, in, in previous episodes, right? What about the roads? Well, if the government isn't policing this particular road and you get a private road owner, right, who lowers the speed limit, puts up a bunch of tolls every 100 feet, right? That path is now worse off or worse off than it was under government regulation and government control, And there's no guarantee that in a free market, private society, that things will be better than under government regulations. And so we ought to just remain where we are, where we feel safe, where we know the rules, right, under government regulations. And my boss has intimated a similar sentiment, right? He's okay with the violence of the state because in his mind, the law is applied equally, so it's equal violence across the board, right? Black folks should know not to get involved with the cops and just sit in their car with their hands on the wheel during a police interaction because they know cops respond poorly to immigrants and, and minorities. You just have to know these things. White guys don't get shot because they don't, they don't assault the cops, that's the difference. It's not, it's not the law. It's not the rules. It's not the police, right? It's how certain groups respond to those interactions. But the law is applied equally. And since it's applied equally, we can learn it. And because we can learn it and it's fair across the board, right, then it is better to have the regulations of the state rather than the dangerous freedom and liberty of operating without one. Final thoughts? Nothing else. Yep. All right. That'll do it for us then. You guys know where to find us. On Telegram, Telegram, uh, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. Um, anarchistexperience.com. And if you would like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon. Patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.
2: Aloha.